Welcome to the podcast for real-life heroines. Let's embark on a journey that unveils the extraordinary stories of everyday women who redefine what it means to be a heroine or hero. Life is a tapestry of inspiration and magic, and today's episode is no exception. Here's your host, Susanna Liller. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today at the podcast for real-life heroines and sharing my conversation today with Deborah LaCopola, who is joining me. Deborah, thank you very much for agreeing to be my guest. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel honored, really. Thank you. Well, this podcast, as some of you know, is about talking to heroines about their journey, about their journey on a path that's been around for thousands of years that has been documented in story, in film, in books, the heroine's journey, which we also know as the hero's journey. And it's about how these characters of their own stories answer a call to do something in their lives that evolve them into something bigger, where they're creating a bigger life and a more meaningful life for themselves by answering that call. And the call is very unique to each heroine. And today we're going to talk to Deborah about her call, which which was a very meaningful and deep call, which has created a book. And we're going to talk about her book. So Deborah, let me just say a few words about who you are and your background, if that's okay, before we begin. Sure. So you were, you're a New Yorker, a Long Islander, um, <laughs> which growing up in Connecticut, we would say Long Island, um, a photographer, director, producer. You have a BFA in photography from the School of Visual Arts in New York City, which is, and so does your husband and your partners with him, Charles Meyer. Um, and you've worked all over in Los Angeles, New York City, Seattle, you have award-winning photography, and which is very evident from going to your website. The two of you have a website, which I will talk about again at the end, called photoduo.com, and creating videos and still photos. Um, you call yourself a visual, a visual storyteller. You have a journey that we're going to talk about what your book is about and let me just say the title of your book a handbook for caregiving to your parent and 360 care a handbook for caregiving to your parent which you wrote published last year correct yes that's correct and so we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about the wisdom of this book it's a beautiful book it um, certainly talks about the four years you cared for your dad, your dad, Lenny LaCopola. Um, and I think he was 80 when he passed. Yes, that's correct. And we just have. <laughs> and you just had his birthday on November 6th. So happy birthday to Lenny. It's just so obvious how much you cared about him. Um, and I almost think 
and tell me what you think if I'm wrong, that this is like a love letter, this book to your father. It's that's so interesting that you say that because um, I almost thought of uh, titling the book, a love letter to Lenny. And then I thought, oh, it seems a little too broad. And I wanted, I wanted more people to read it. People, that were caregiving for their parents. So that's that's hence the handbook because I wanted to make sure more people picked it up and they didn't think it was uh, you know, just a novel, in other right. words. Right. <clears throat> but and and so it is a handbook and it is practical. Half of your book is all the practical things of what caregivers need to know and think about. But the first half is all about and and I wonder if people will be surprised by this, but it's about self-care and the importance of self-care. So you would say, what would you say about, why is that so important? Why would you, I mean, I know because I read the book, but how would you say it to the audience? Well, think about it this way. You know, if you're, if you're sick, and you're trying to care for someone, well, that's not gonna work. So if you don't put your self-care first when you're a caregiver, especially being a caregiver, because it's such an enormous undertaking to really care for someone at that level that is, you know, maybe has cancer like my dad did or Alzheimer's. Um, it's just, it's a lot of work, okay? Um, and you need to, you need to pay attention to yourself and put very basic things into place. And the more small things you put into place, they really do add up. And what happens is you're well through the journey of being a caregiver. So by putting your self-care first, it's really, um, it's remarkable how you can actually, um, be a caregiver with more ease. I don't, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier. Right. For sure. <laughs> and you make that point so well with everything you address. And you say it's really like practicing self-love. And I would say to you, and I bet you would agree with me that most women in particular, we're not good at this. We're good at draining ourselves right and doing for everybody else and sucking up you know what it is we need to do for us while we take care for everybody else that we do we do run out of steam yes absolutely i mean it's very common for caregivers to burn out um you know burning burnout is real in 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 business but also in being a caregiver and if we don't continue to you know, refuel ourselves, um, the chances of you getting sick and not being able to care for your loved one are pretty great. And, uh, you know, self-love is something that um, takes, takes courage, I should say. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a daily, it really is something we need to do daily. And if that means putting a little post-it on your mirror in the bathroom and saying, I love you, or you're beautiful today, um, so be it, you know, it's like, it's really these little reminders of, um, you know, of, of self-love, if you will. Which you sprinkle throughout your book, which I think is great, because the other thing, you know, I, I highlighted important parts of your book that I thought for caregivers, but also I highlighted in a different color those 
parts of your book that apply to everybody. So the ones self-care is not selfish. I mean, that's for everybody. Um, everything happens when it's supposed to. Um, letting go of everything that weighs you down. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so much here. Being non-judge, being non I love this one. Being non-judgmental is a daily act of forgiveness. So mm -hmm. there's so much wisdom. Um, but continuing on, so you're your adventure when I first asked you I kind of detailed here's the heroine's journey storyline and you're in ordinary life and then something happens that you get a call to adventure and you said to me your dad's illness and your response to it was really your call to adventure and so tell me though you had an experience at the yoga retreat center, Kripalu in Massachusetts, that kind of showed mm -hmm. why you maybe were real. Well, you also say you were a caretaker ever since you were little, but what about, can you share that yoga experience and what that taught you about yourself? Oh, wow. Thanks for bringing that up. That was that was a really defining moment um, because, you know, I had already been a photographer at that point for, I don't know, probably, uh, you know, a decade. So <clears throat> maybe about 10 years already. And, um, you know, it, I, I've always known, you know, photography was something that um, was something I was good at. It was a gift, you know, and it's something I love like nothing else. And, but it wasn't really until that assignment at Kripalu when we were, um, photographing these like high uh, meditation um, leaders and yog yogis and yoginis that um, we I had this one woman in front of my camera and oh my gosh I was just photographing like I normally would and she starts crying and I start crying and it was just this crazy moment I couldn't even believe it she she just stopped me and we both like hugged each other and she said do you know what you're doing and I was like uh no I'm getting the chills right now she said you're channeling me and I thought what are you talking about I never even had heard of that word and she said you're really you're you're uh giving me a gift and I was like Wow. And from that moment on, I just knew that this was like, you know, for lack of a better lot, not to be so woo woo, whatever, but it was my calling, you know, that photography wasn't just something that I always had kind of said that photography saved my life. And in some ways, because it was something that I could do really well. And it, and when, when I'm photographing, I'm really in the moment. So nothing around me matters and nothing is disturbing me. You know, any little things in life that, you know, uh, you know, you're upset about this or how to fight with someone or, you know, have bills to pay or whatever, nothing can kind of get in that bubble, if you will, mm -hmm. of being so present um, of, you know, me receiving the gifts of photography, but, and, and visual and connecting with people. But what she was saying was that I was giving her a gift and that, that thrilled me. Absolutely thrilled me. I can understand. And then it explains why you're such an amazing photographer. And what I loved too, was that you compared it to caregiving to, cause you said, I I'm able to what that woman was saying to you can hold space for people, which may I say that 
we don't really do very well at that. We are not good listeners normally, um, but you are right there in the moment. And you said it's the same as caregiving and realizing your your words from your book. I am only here for them. So only here for my. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that's my mantra when I go to do any photo shoot and has been for, you know, the last couple of decades. Anytime we go on any shoot, whether big, small, you know, one portrait to, you know, a big uh, production of three days, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, video, still photography, it's like, the it's, it's that mantra every single time I am here for them. I am, this is, uh, it's like, a, it's basically like service work in a sense. And that's how I like to think of it. And that's how I thought of caregiving for dad, you know, for Lenny was um, my service work. And the minute I comparatively thought that way um, was the minute that my shoulders went down and it became easier, not easy, but easier. And isn't that what we're all striving for is just to have that a little more lightness, you know, um, through the journey. (laughs) Yeah. But also you were able to say, and you say this in your book, and I think I also also should mention that you interview other caregivers and we hear snippets of their story throughout. So there's seven of them, but you talk about what really helped you. You know, people hear self-care all the time and they say, well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Uh Uh-huh. You really go through it. And I'll just say that you talk about meditation and all these are things that you do as well. I know you have a mantra, you pay attention to your self-talk, you hydrate, you're a longtime yoga practitioner, reading is important, rest is important. I have to ask you about the green juice. (laughs) I knew you were going to bring that up. (laughs) Because, so just tell us quickly, you don't have to give us the exact recipe, but you're a producer, you and your husband, and you say it, well, you said it, it changed your lives, the two of you. And your green drink consists of what, basically? Well, actually, we just made it yesterday. So, you know, over the years, it has changed. So we've, <laughs> we've adopted, you know, some different, uh, you know, things here and there. We've gone through different juices. We started out with a very basic one. Now we do cold press juicing, which is kind of, it has the, not kind of, it has the most nutrients available to you, cold press. Um, it's the most expensive one in the grocery store too. So you, you know, it's, if you're going to buy it at, you know, Whole Foods or whatever, it's pretty expensive. So we do make our own. Um, and what we put in it, um, well, let's see what we put in it yesterday was kale, Swiss chard, spinach, um, mint, apples, and parsley, Italian Mm. parsley. (laughs) Yeah. And the apples give it the sweetness. Yes. Now not too many apples. So for that whole mixture, we only put in two apples. Okay. You don't want to do too, you don't want to do too much fruit juice because that's the, I think that's the misconception with a lot of people. They'll say, oh, I'm going to juice and they'll, they'll put, they'll use way, uh, way too much, um, you know, apple and, or pear or something like that. And, or, you know, even people will put orange into green juice, which I really don't recommend. I don't really think orange juice is that healthy, but that's another story. Um, (laughs) But, um, but I would say that, uh, you know, don't use too much apple. The main thing is to get your greens. So however you can do that, um, you know, and I do feel like, 
if you can drink your greens, then you're halfway there. So if you have uh, some juice every day, some green juice, well, then you don't have to worry too much about the rest of what you're eating. You know, I mean, yes, you, I, I would recommend eating healthy, but at least, you know, you're getting in nutrition. So, and that says that's so much right there. You know, you're really talking about adding in something really good instead of usually when we talk about eating, it's what do we have to not eat and take away and you're adding in something really good. Um, and I like that way of looking at it. So, so thank you for that. I had to get that. <laughs> you're welcome and I, I i really have to say too is that you know uh, green juice is way more accessible um you know than it used to be of course right so if you can't you know and i know as a caregiver or just in any of our lives but especially as a caregiver we just don't have time to do that so you can go to the grocery store and buy a green juice just look for things that are the most natural, um, organic and things that were, you know, cold pressed is really best, but you know, you don't have to run out and get a juicer. A lot of people do that and they don't use them. So if you know that you're that person, just buy some green juice, you know, as frequently as you can when you're at the store. Um, right. or if you have a juice bar, lucky enough to have a juice bar in your neighborhood, then, then try that. Oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one of so many things that you help us understand is self-care. And you're not, of course, saying do all of these things, but just the fact, you know, you talk about your bedroom as a sanctuary and the different things that you can do to kind of ease into sleep. Because you talk, I think you say, and you can correct me, that sleep or sound sleep, sound rest is like the most important of everything. Would you say, is that what you said? Yes. And I, I do feel that way. Now I grew up, um, you know, taking naps. So I, I'm a big napper. Um, I don't do that every day. I usually do that on the weekends. Um, but I definitely believe in napping and I do feel like sound rest, <clears throat> excuse me, is everything. Um, I've always been a good sleeper, but I know a lot of people have problems with it. So there are things that I do recommend in my book about sleeping. You know, you right. want to have a cool room. Um, you know, you, I, I, we have been using a noisemaker. Yeah. <laughs> The sound machine is, you know, what it is. It's well, it now we actually do it on the phone, believe it or not. Um, it used to be that we had those uh little um sound wave machines that they use in therapist's office. I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're kind of yep. Yep. So anyway, we always used one of those and we'd even take that traveling. But there is something about that white noise. That's what it is, is the white noise that is can be soothing for a lot of people to fall asleep. And we started doing that because we lived in Times Square and it was so noisy. So we had to come up with something. And ever since we did that, we've been using it ever since. But it is really, um, I do find it to be beneficial uh, for, you know, for sleep as well as amongst many other things that I do put in my book and kind of like a little bit of a bedtime ritual, if you will, um, right. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so with all of that at the beginning of the book, really, and, and we have absolutely just touched on what's in there, um, you say on page 157, next began the actual journey. And this is when you realized you had to put your dad in a nursing home. And this is when things got harder with your dad and pushed harder at you too, and how you wanted to do things, I think. And 
um, you said one of the hardest lessons as he got weaker, I mean, eventually he was bedridden, um, you said was listening to them and letting them make their own decisions. And do you want to say anything about that, about how that was so hard for you? Yeah, you just really took me back there and um, oh, just brings a tear to my no. eye, but- uh, I know, yeah. I'm sorry to do that. <laughs> no, no, of course. I, you know, it's okay. I, I, I think that um, there's this fine line of being a caregiver um, and being, and allowing someone to uh, still be in control of their life. Okay. So. Right. 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 And so I know this. So just a personal, you know, your book, of course, kind of invites us to think about our own lives and with my own parents who passed away. And my mother lived with us for six years and I was her caregiver. And mm -hmm. I was, I'm telling you, Deborah, I feel like, and, and I know the next thing we're going to talk about is forgiveness. So we'll get there, but I wasn't so good about this because I got impatient um, my mother kept falling because she wasn't using a cane or anything. So I had to, you know, you have to do this, mom, you have to use a cane. You can't go, you know, do things like you did before. I put restrictions on her and mm -hmm. I had to, and I, I ended up saying, do this for me. You won't do it for yourself, but do it for me. But I still feel I didn't let her stir the soup because it was burning because she couldn't see what she was doing I should have let her you know so what if the soup burns but but anyways that's a hard thing to do it is a fine line it's a fine line and it's really it's really really hard yes mm -hmm. you know when you see someone suffering but my gosh they love life so much and they just want to keep going you know mm -hmm. what do you do you know right, right. Mm -hmm. so so you do make mistakes, right? And then- Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so you talk about forgiveness, that this is really important. And I, I guess I just, this is probably gonna bring another tear to your eye, but part of the story for you is after all this amazing caretaking, you missed your dad's passing. I know. And yeah. So you had to work with forgiving yourself for that, which of course wasn't your fault by any means. Um, but you worked your way through that, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh. <laughs> still doing, still doing that. <laughs> yeah. so the emotion is still there. I can tell. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what you say very strongly is you speak so much about forgiveness Yes, um, And you say it's an enormous act of self-care. Um, you're having to let go. It's really about self-love. Um, mm -hmm. And that's when you, I already said, to be non-judgmental. And this means of yourself is a daily act of forgiveness. Um, and then you make the statement, and this is a big one. If you disregard anything else in this book, do this one act, forgive yourself, then forgive <laughs> everyone. And so you're still working on it. And it's been how long since what? Four uh, years? 
Four years. Yeah, it's been four years. And yes, I am still working on it. And it's because it is a daily act and it's right. so enormous. And I know that people carry a lot of that in their heart. They, you know, uh, guilt and shame and uh, I should have done this and I should have done that. And, you know, uh, I find the best way to let go of these of these things and forgiveness is, is crying, uh, is part of it. Don't right. get to, you know, uh, let it go, you know, just like you're letting go of, you know, the things that you feel, uh, bad about or that you didn't do right. Um, so don't, don't give into that either. That's the, you know, that's the trick there. Um, but meditation really helps, uh, cause when we sit quiet with ourselves, we're able to let go. It's, you know, and people say, oh, I can't meditate. No, no, it's it's just the quiet. It's the quiet. Turn the TV off. Turn off the radio. Turn wow. off, you know, the distractions. Close your eyes. Just sit anywhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, sit Indian style, you know, and sit my back straight and all of this. That's right. wonderful. If you can get to that, that's wonderful. But if not, lie on the bed. You know, it's okay. Sit, sit in a comfortable chair, you know, sit at the kitchen table. It doesn't matter. It's more about the quiet. It's a, it's, a, it's the quiet time that allows us to let go. That's what I have found. And yeah. uh, I hope that helps. Yes. Well, I'm sure it helps. And um, you're, so could you just share the story about, so after you found out your dad passed, you went for a walk on the beach in Malibu. And what happened? Oh, that was just such a beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, it's one of my little personal sanctuaries, um, you know, living in LA to just, you know, it's about maybe 25 minutes to get there, as long as it's not too much traffic. But, you know, I always time it right, go way early in the morning and Take, I was taking a walk and um, it was just a beautiful winter day. And here winter is, you know, 70, 70 yeah. degrees, right. or 65 right. or 70 degrees or whatever. So I was not wearing a light, not, yeah. not like you with the snow. <laughs> so anyway, so I was walking, I just, you know, I was so exhausted, you know, as you are when you're grieving. And so I, uh, there was no one around. It was just amazing. And so I just plopped myself on the sand and I had my little backpack. And so I used it as my little pillow and I just slid down and I actually, I fell asleep. I, um, you know, like I said, I'm a napper, so I could kind of sleep anywhere. <laughs> so I did, I did fall asleep. I have no idea for how long it could have been 10, 15 minutes. It could have been an hour. I have no idea. But the moment I woke up, I looked out into the ocean and I kid you not, there was a whole pod of dolphins wow. jumping. I mean, right in front of me, they could have been anywhere in the ocean, right? Right yeah. in front of me. They right. were just jumping for joy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So some of us would look at that as a sign that your dad, the universe, your whatever is saying, Deborah, it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's beautiful. That story is beautiful. So um, so when we talk about the heroine's journey and we talk about the call, and again, you said your call to adventure was your father's illness and your response to that and 
all that it gave to you. And, and we talk about what do these journeys give us and we call them the gifts. And what would you say, what's the gifts of that particular journey that you went on with your dad? Oh my gosh, there's so many gifts. I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I couldn't even count them, but I'll tell you that if I had to do it all over again in the same way or even harder, I don't care. I would do, I would do it. I would do it in a minute. I just, I have so many, I mean, we have, we did laugh a lot and laughter is definitely something you need to take with you on this journey of being a caregiver. And um, I have so many great memories (laughs) of when we were caregiving you know all the times to the hospital and in the just even though it was a lot of physical work too because I'd have to get the wheel you know just to get him to an appointment at the hospital or you know um, at his doctor's appointment it was like you know we'd go from the walker to the wheelchair you know and then me like getting the you know uh, wheelchair at the facility and then getting him out onto the walker into the wheelchair I mean but we we would laugh about it you know and we would just try and have his as much uh, joy as we possibly could. And uh, there was so many gifts. I, I just, just being with my dad for that amount of time too, because when I was growing up, it was really just limited to uh, late nights and, um, and Sunday. Sunday right. was the, the day that he, uh, he, you know, didn't work. So, um, right. so having that length of time with him and having that really intense time, um, as painful as some of it was, uh, was a gift. Absolutely. And it really enriched. I mean, it was clear from how you wrote about it, that it, it changed you. It made you more, what, loving and compassionate yourself, right? I mean, how can that not happen when you have such a giving um, experience, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As difficult as it is to be a caregiver, you know, especially, you know, for your parent. Um, yes, it's also a beautiful, it, it's a beautiful thing. It truly is, truly is a gift. Yes. Deborah, I'm really um, honored that you can share this with me and, and with the people listening. And, and this is going to be an even harder request right now. I'm going to say, of all that you've shared, we've been able to talk about, and and I can't even say, I think I'm going to buy this book for everybody because it's, everybody's going to go through this and your advice is so, so needed. But if I were to say to you, um, of everything we've talked about, if there was one thing you want to make sure people take away from this conversation, what would you want it to be? Hmm. Um, I would say most of all, there's two, two, it's really twofold. Um, one is the self-love part. Yeah. It's really, and that's the hardest part just in life in general. Yeah. But if you, if you can manage that, um, even just a little bit, then mm. it's going to make things a, a lot easier. Mm. And uh, and the other thing I would say is just, you know, just be be present. I know it sounds 
I, I don't know what it sounds like, but sometimes I think people, you know, throw these things around. Oh, self-care, self-love, be present, you know, do your mantra and all this, but there is something to it. And there is something to these small acts, if you will, mm-hmm. that add up and they sound big, but they're really, they really can be small. Mm. If you just do a little bit, you know, it's like, I even talk about, you know, caring for yourself, like walking every day. Well, if you can't walk for an hour, walk for five minutes, 10 minutes, open the window, step outside. It's okay. You know, it doesn't. And again, back to forgiveness, you know, it's, um, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. No, it's okay. Little, tiny little acts are become huge. Mm. You know, you ch- and I'm, I'm thinking, Susanna, we have to wind down, but it's very hard for me to let these good things go um, because it's so great what you say in here. And what that makes me think of is the, the rhythm of the day. You talk mm. about establishing the heartbeat of the day that, that, when people get thrown way off their compass by illness and that it is important to reestablish a a new rhythm. And you talk about like making your bed. That's something you can do in the morning that, um, you know, gives you a little sense of control. And so that, that rhythm sounds like it's an important thing for you in your life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's things that, you know, I am pretty disciplined and I don't know if that's, um, you know, just because of the way I I grew up as a caregiver, you know, Mm -hmm. from my mom. So uh, when you do, when you have to do a lot of things as a, as a, you know, as a child, you, uh, you do uh, have to have some kind of routine to make, you know, keep things normalized. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I think I just, uh, you know, I adopted that early on. you know, thankfully I was, you know, I was a kid that was pretty like, uh, I laugh a lot and I was pretty joyful. So I think that was, that really helped, <laughs> but I, I do think the, you know, the small little acts and, you know, really are, are, uh, are powerful. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're writing another book, right? I, I am. It's on grief and, um, you know, because obviously I'm, I'm still grieving and I don't think that there's a time limit to our grief um, as long as we don't allow it to take over. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. So yeah. we'll be looking for that, but people can um, go and check out your website, which is com, and photoduo.com is the website you have with your husband because the two of you have a business with beautiful videos and photos on it um so yeah people can reach you and i'll put these in um the show notes so people will have them when this gets dropped and distributed um i can't thank you enough for talking with me today and i look forward to having the chance again oh absolutely i would absolutely love that Susanna, it's been really a pleasure. I um I thank you so much for including me in your series. And um I just I really feel honored. So thank you. I'm I appreciate it. And I hope you, that this book helps people. So that's the main it, thing. Yeah. The book definitely is gonna help people. So again, 
Thank you, and you are welcome. And I look forward to, you said, maybe you'll come to Maine someday. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast for real-life heroines. Your time and presence mean the world to us. If you're hungry for more inspiration and ready to craft your own heroine story, connect with Susanna outside of the show. Visit SusannaLillard.com to discover her courses and programs designed to empower you on your journey. Until next time, may your days be filled with the courage and strength of a true heroine. Stay inspired. 